the second of three podcasts, Ian Mobsby, in conversation with Simon Walker, continues to explore the subject of the undefended self as a way of understanding Christianity and a healthy understanding of the self. Simon Walker is an author, trainer and Anglican priest. This podcast was recorded in August 2011. Now I'm um, challenged about how that resonates with quite a lot of the contemplative tradition and particularly mm. some of the writings of Francis and Benedict. And, and mm. I was really struck in, in your book um, thinking about the connection between being undefended um, mm. and the contemplative Christian tradition and you do actually name it in a couple of times when mm. you talk about the desert mothers and fathers. Yeah. Um, so do you think for you there's a deep connection between being undefended and this idea of living in a world of abundance which is about God's mystical presence to us, which comes from more of a contemplative and monastic tradition? Yes, I do. Um, I do. I think that the, uh, at the heart of, of um, this spirituality of being undefended is a proposal that the world comes to us as gift and not as commodity. Mm. And the, 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 the mystics, contemplatives, and the monastic communities understood the uh, understood the world, world sacramentally as offered to us, and very often in the earthiness of the spiritual practices and disciplines, there is a um, a learning how to participate in um, the the daily life that is given to us, and to. Um, that that's really the earthiness of Benedict's spirituality, yeah. um, whereby we can experience the presence of God digging the potatoes, mm. um, and in the rhythm of of life. So there's something, I, you know, I, I think undefendedness um, comes to us as we start to learn these old disciplines of joining in with the rhythms of of mm. the day, of the week, of the year, the mm. seasons. And there's a, an earthiness there, and there's inherent sacramentalism there. That in those, um, in that joining in with, so we begin to notice the eternal moment, the presence of God in that now, which I noticed actually you have on the front of your <laughs> website. It's yeah. obviously a very central proposal <laughs> that you you seek to live by. Absolutely. Mm. And I, I, I'm also struck thinking then about what this says about the Christian faith because often we uh, miss out on a lot of this. There is a big, I'm liking the connection with undefended and grace and a sense of this loving understanding of discipleship. Um, and I think you named it out, was really interesting, the difference between life as commodity and life as gift. Um, I'm struck how many people in our highly consumptive Western culture now are stuck with an idea that life is consumptive, where mm. everything is scarce. Um, rather than what you're suggesting is the idea of the spirit and the love of God enabling us to live in abundance for the idea of, of life as gift. And I think that has lots to say to people who are spiritual seekers at the moment. And so maybe there's something about this being undefended, which is also about trying to open up the spiritual landscape of Christianity. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Ian. I, I think, um, paradoxically, the um, experience of the Westerner over the last 
couple of decades has been this acquisitiveness. And uh, often we're acquisitive because we, we, we fear that unless we have, unless we grab now, we, we won't have enough in the future. Um, well, sometimes we're acquisitive simply by um, not learning to state and discipline our, our, our passions and desires. But the, the, the interesting thing, of course, now that we're facing in an economy and in a world that has really reached its limits in terms of consumption, um, is that I, I think the tone, um, the general kind of emotional tone that uh, we're facing as a society is shifting towards one of anxiety. And I, I, I detect that uh, the, um, if, you, if you like, you know, the two sides of being defended are uh, to either experience the world as commodity or as threat. I detect that there's a shifting of balance there and that there's a growing sense of threat that people perceive threat from mm. China, threat from lifestyles uh, being mm. um, slimmed down, not being able to... Uh, threat from, from, you know, will I ever retire, old age, uh, rioting, and social instability, disorder, etc., etc. I, I think we're entering a stage in civic life in the West where predominantly people are going to be anxious and will be adopting all sorts of postures to defend their, their position. And in the, in the light of that, the question, you know, I guess is what does the gospel have to say about that? What does the Christian life offer? The possibility of um, embracing the future, not anxiously, not fearfully, not trying to hold on to what we've got, but a sense of abundance, the sense of trust, that the other is not, not a threat but could be a friend, to cross borders, mm. to go outside our tribes, to make these inter-social um, connections that are, are going to be so important, of course fundamentally freed from the fear that unless we store up and hoard, we won't have enough, which is driving so much of our toxic economy. Yeah. And to live plainly and simply with what is available, learning to find and relish that delight. But I think there's also a you know, desperate need for the church itself, which has described its spirituality in terms of guilt and atonement, mm. yes. to rediscover that the heart of the, the, the movement of stepping into the kingdom, the heart of God's, of Jesus' invitation to come to the kingdom, is not one about moral reform, but it's, it's one about risk. It's one about taking, mm. accepting the challenge, uh, or the invitation to uh, abandon the strategies we've been using to make ourselves safe in the world, in favour of trusting that the Father will make us safe, and that's a that's a movement of risk. Mm. And I think if we if we could speak of a message and live out a, a a life of of radical freedom and risk in this day and age, it would be very very potent. Mm. So thinking about leadership and all that you've just talked about um, in the last podcast around being undefended and thinking about what leadership means within uh, the church or an ecclesial community and, and, in, and actually in businesses in the world, I was very much struck by your emphasis on this form of, of choosing powerlessness or this idea of servant leadership with the importance of empowerment and a more facilitatory approach to leading. So how do you think being undefended can assist people in being that type of leader? Well, um, uh, just one qualification. Um, it's often assumed when when I speak about undefended leadership that I'm talking about some kind of uh, you know being a doormat or or you know just uh, enabling and allowing other people to to, to make decisions, take decisions, uh, as it were. And I I, I think um, I would want to say that isn't 
that isn't the, uh, uh, that isn't what undefended leadership per se means. Although it gives, and you use the word actually, it gives us the option of choosing to powerlessness or to lay down power. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I would just backtrack a little bit, um, and perhaps we'll make a connection with the previous podcast. We were, um, you know, we've been exploring this this idea that um, in God opens up for us. Uh, a space in the world in which we can experience ourselves as uh, fully safe, fully secure in him, and that therefore we don't need to defend ourselves. Now, what that, I think, does is to make available to us a different kind of power that we can use. You see, if, if, I'm, if I'm in the world in a, in a state that is threatened, then if I'm then put, put in a position of, of positional power, uh, I'm a leader somewhere of a church or a school or you know, even a family or whatever it is, mm. then at some level or other, I'm going to use that power to defend myself, to protect myself from threats. And of course, you know, leaders tend to have positional power, so they, they can do that. And one of the results of that is that leaders can become tribal. They use their power to create a tribe that is kind of influenced by their own image yes. and their own stamp. Of, and it's often said that if you want to know what a leader is like, then you go and look at their organization, <laughs> kind of their personality writ large. Yes. Um, so the, 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 the question is, uh, you know, obviously there's something... There's something wrong about that. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a sense in which the transaction between the leader and the followers is, is inappropriate, where the leader isn't fully free enough to serve the needs of the people that they are charged with being responsible for. Um, they are using them in some sense, even if it's in a benign sense, even if you know the overall uh, kind of mission of this organization is a good one, if you like. It's it's not it, that that ultimately doesn't really matter. It's, it's the question of how power is being used there. Yes. So mm. the question is, how can that leader who holds that position of authority, how can they become free enough such that they can truly serve the uh, the people who are in front of them? Yeah. And I think um, Jesus. Uh, there's this amazingly pregnant verse in John's Gospel, uh, John chapter 5, verse 19, where, where Jesus says, The Son, the Divine Son, um, to himself, the Son only does what he sees his Father in heaven doing. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything that he does. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I, I think what Jesus is, is um, opening up there is uh, the relationship of mutuality and self-disclosure that exists within the divine Godhead between yes. Father and Son and Spirit, <laughs> in which the, um, the divine Son uh, is so loved by the Father that the Father discloses everything that he does to the Son. Uh, there's no barrier. There's, there's complete um, vulnerability and disclosure there. And that experience is the experience of eternal life. To, mm. to have the heart of God, the heart of the Father opened up to you is, is eternal life. And it's in that posture that the Son knows himself as the Son. He becomes Son by being in that place of um, surrender to the Father, like the weaned child at his mother's breast. Mm. So the Divine Son 
sits receiving the um, the vulnerable disclosure of the father, and in that posture knows himself as the son. It's what constitutes his identity. Mm. And and Jesus starts off by saying the son only does what he sees his father in heaven doing. So we never hear Jesus talk about leadership. We never hear Jesus talk about mm. his strategy or his vision or his mission or anything like that. Um, what we hear Jesus talking about is, is, is about his surrendered obedience to the Father, where he only moves in time with the Father. So for him, leadership is about following where the Father is moving. It's about joining in with that divine dance, if mm. you like, and that participation. Now, what you get united together then in, in uh, what Jesus is teaching us here is that our identity as being loved children, adopted children of, of God, where we are fully loved and fully secure and experience ourselves as a great worth and the, the, the love and affection of the Father poured over us, uh, that experience um, is not um, separated from the work that we do as ministers in the world. Mm. Um, our work comes as we join in with the Father. Yeah. And we join in with the Father because we want to stay in step with the Father, keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul puts mm. it. We want to keep moving with the Father in his love. And because of that, we join in with what the Father is doing. And so um, uh, the, uh, the, 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 the work that we do, the leadership that we offer, is nothing more than a responsive joining in with <laughs> the leadership that God the Father is offering. Mm -hmm. The Father is always at his work, Jesus says. The Father is always at his work to this day. He's the one who's leading in the world. He's the one who's acting in the world. He's the one who's moving over the surface of the earth by the Spirit. We simply join in with him. Now, what, what that, this is really getting to the heart of what undefended leadership is. So undefended leadership is um, arriving at that posture where we surrender our own agency, our own will, and instead um, bring ourselves to that place where we are still and where we receive the love of the Father. And... At that place of stillness, at that place of surrender, mm. it becomes possible for us to start to hear and detect what God is doing in that situation, in that place, in that space, mm. and to join in with him. And for Jesus, uh, that gave him the option of both exercising power and laying power down. Mm. So there were moments where in that stillness of being in, in time with the Father, in step with the Spirit, he exercised power to confront, to overturn tables, to cast out demons. He exercised power to bring in the kingdom, to push back the boundaries of uh, the demon-possessed, and to heal the sick. But he, because that's what he detected, the father doing that's mm. what the father was doing in that time and he joined mm. in with it yes but at the same time he was also able when he detected the father doing it to lay down power obviously ultimately mm. on the garden of Gethsemane mm. 
mm. to choose not to use that which would have been available to him. Mm. And so that posture of powerlessness, um, of choosing not to act, of choosing to empower others, to release others, is also made available to us. Mm. Um, so I, I, I know that the phrase um, servant leadership is a, it's a, it's a phrase which has come to be used quite widely. I have some cautions about that mm. because it seems to me that fundamentally uh, Jesus doesn't talk about servant leadership. Uh, he talks about being a child, being a son of God. And as we know ourselves as divine sons and daughters, where we are loved by the Father, so it's possible for us to join in with the Father. The, pr- the problem, the risk with talking about servant leadership is that we quickly get into this sort of idea of virtuous service, yes. where we, you know, we are we are the kind of do-gooder, or we are, yes. as many people in churches are, mm. uh, you know, they get a sense of self-affirmation by you know, mm. serving the coffee, by helping those who, you know, they need mm. to be needed. Mm. And as a, you know, someone who led a church myself, I, <laughs> I, I've seen that cycle. Mm. Um, and we, 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 the moment we're there, we've lost obviously the centrality of grace, mm. and. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm stop. Sorry. No, no, that's fabulous. I mean, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I couldn't agree more because the Trinitarian stuff for me is the inspiration behind the, behind the depth of Christianity. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about your application right. because that's what always people always argue about uh, the Trinitarian yeah. stuff. Well, that's all nice in theory, but what does it mean in practice? But yeah. if I can just offer an anecdote before yeah. I um before I moved into doing what I do now in working with moods, I used to work in the health service and I used to run a occupational therapy department where right. um, we're, we're in a lo- very large hospital where mm. there was a real divide, divide and conquer approach to the way mm. that that management system worked. So every manager was very played off mm. with one another. And I, and, and because mm. I was quite inspired then as a Christian with the whole, tr- this whole Trinitarian participation right. and the idea right. of, the belovedness of God and actually about breaking down that whole system in, yeah. into building trust. I kind of, I think I did what you're describing as this undefended. I refused mm. to play by those rules. Mm. Was actually very honourable, very empowering. Mm. Always I did everything that I, you know, was very honest. No playing mm. games. Um, with a system of kind of growing into that, catching up with what God would want to do in that situation. Um, and then seeking to love other managers, and so mm. so that whole system broke down, which was quite amazing over a mm. year. To sense mm. where it broke down, and it ended up people started. And for, you know, I castigated some meetings where these heads mm. of service would work together. So mm. I don't. I, I totally agree with mm. you. This doesn't have to just be an ideology or or mm. some sort of right thinking. It it is actually stuff that's very practical, and has a lot mm. to say about breaking down some of the maybe there's some incredibly poor hierarchical management systems mm. that, that are still very much in place today. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a wonderful story. Uh, it really, yeah, you think it alive. So thinking about what you're saying, which, uh, you know, that whole Trinitarian stuff for me is behind, you know, this catching up with what God is doing as being a leader and this I, this calling, I think, which I, 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 I couldn't agree more with in sense of trying to sense what God is saying and calling people to do. Um, now thinking about the practicalities of the great the great things of church and church traditions, um, given your experience of the Church of England, which is you know I love and we love it and hate it in equal measure, and we love the community, but maybe some of the institutional stuff that goes on is not that great. Uh, what are the applications of this kind of undefended thing and being say this form of leader within the Church of England and mm, trying mm. to lead a church in this kind of undefended way of being church or ecclesial community? Mm. For for you, what is the kind of major application? Ah, well, um, I mean, I think um, 
I think we can we can look at that in terms of local congregations and uh, local communities, and and we can also sort of be conscious of the the, the whole Anglican tradition, if you like, in the Church of England as an institution. I think I think the Church of England as an institution, just to make a comment on that, mm. is largely at the moment experiences itself is very threatened, yes. and as a result of that, um, is. Uh, in a state of anxiety and bereavement as well of of, of loss and, and confusion. Mm. Um, so there's a general sense of needing to um, uh, rediscover God's affirmation and his 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 kind of deep affection. I think for for us as a sort of historic community. Mm. I think in terms of, of of local congregations, local community expressions, as uh, the um, perhaps perhaps the, the the very heart of um, exploring um, the the life that I'm talking about here is that um, this is a spirituality of reception, mm-hmm. of receptivity, where we receive um, the that love of of God. So um, I'm very reluctant to kind of for understand to get labelled or pigeonholed into any particular spiritual tradition, mm-hmm. because it seems to me that there are in different traditions there are sources of um, the affective, affective love of God that mm. flows to us. So, for for, for me, the direct um, encounter with, uh, uh, with 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 the Spirit, um, which the charismatic traditions helps us rediscover, is something that I would struggle to um, to see the void in any community. Yeah. Uh, because I I think unless we experience it. Uh, at an emotional level, the love of the, uh, the, the love of God, the love of the Father, then we're, we're going to continue to be tyrannised by fear. So there's there's in mm. some sense of you know, me as a pastor, you as a pastor, and how are you enabling people yes. in your community to directly dwell in, sink in, drink in the love of the Father? Mm. I think there's there's then this this whole question of time and participating in time. So if if we are working with this notion that uh, God's transformation involves us seeing and receiving the day no longer as commodity but as mm. gift, then how can our spirituality, both when we gather and when we live our lives through the, the week and the year, join in with that? And I think these mm. ancient traditions that, that in, inscribe the rhythms of the year and of the day um, and enable us to uh, worship through them and uh, participate through them are are very are very important. So again, I, I I struggle with some traditions that flatten the Christian year and Christian experience, mm. um, so that every day is the same, yes. every season is the same. Mm. Um, yeah, I, and I think learning uh, in terms of worship, learning how to receive the, the the sacrament of life, so that prayer becomes a way of being in the world, not just a, an mm. activity. Mm. And that the sacraments are not simply rituals that the gathered community participate in, but that we experience our daily life Monday to Friday sacramentally. Yes. And we learn how to make and uh, and receive those sacramental moments. Yes. I, I, I think there's something, too, that must be fundamentally about generosity mm. here, where if if we're talking about receiving the day, our lives as gifts, then generosity must be a characteristic yes. of of the spirit that flows out of the life of that community, mm. and then of course this crossing of boundaries, 
um, from the tribe that we're in. The moment we start to gather around us, the people like us, the people who see the world like us, mm. we know that we are defending ourselves. Yes. You know, the, 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 the sociologically, socially, the way we defend ourselves is to gather around mirror images of ourselves mm. that, that make us feel that we're safe, that we're okay, that we're valid. Mm. So, you know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, fundamentally when the spirit flows through our communities, we, um, we're called out from those places of, of mirrored worlds where we just look back and see our own reflection to yes. look the other in the eye. And in fact, in, in those encounters with others who are different from us mm. and who see the world differently from different um, uh, ethnic backgrounds, different geographical mm. backgrounds, different economic backgrounds, uh, racial, sexual, everything, we, what we experience is um, another perspective that uh, um, opens up the, 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 the revelation of God. Uh, totally, totally. And so that's a really, again, another big connection then with, with the first podcast about this idea of undefending in the contemplative. Thank you for listening to this Mood podcast. For more information on our events, resources and community, please go to www.moot.uk.net.